Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. We finally have actual NBA games that count, scheduled to occur at the end of the month of July to talk about. But before we do, we want to discuss if playing those games would be a good idea, given how the pandemic has been in the state of Florida, where the resumed season will be held. Uh, we'll also talk about the planned schedule for Boston's regular season and about potential playoff opponents. Cam Tabatabai of Celtics Hub and Off the Glass and I are joined by Alex Goldberg, also of Off the Glass, for this episode. Welcome, Alex. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I had uh, a nice cup of coffee beforehand. I'm feeling good, ready to talk some hoops. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Cam, how are you? Yeah, no complaints. Same old, same old. Uh, I enjoy my bird feeder and my walks in this weird time of quarantine. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm in the same place I was last time. Strange, strange as it may seem. <laughs> um, <laughs> so now that we have, you know, really took off uh, on an exciting trajectory here, should we be doing this? Is hmm. this a good idea? Like just some <laughs> Is general that a thoughts. Question. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, uh, you want to start this one off? Yeah, sure. Um, in a word, no. I have okay, so I think there's a lot of reasons why any person who's playing the home game would could see how morally specious restarting right now is. I mean, I think that there's a real chance that someone related to I don't even want to call it a bubble. It's not a bubble. I think that that's not even intellectually honest to call it a bubble. I think that there's a real chance a, a petri dish really. Exactly. Um, yes. There's a real chance people unrelated to the NBA or who work for the NBA that aren't well-paid athletes or coaches get sick in a life-changing way or even a fatal way. So let's get that out of the way. But I think there's like a real ethical dilemma. If somehow we can shelve that, I think the PR for this is a disaster. Um, It's July the 2nd right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. And Florida's cases are skyrocketing, but deaths are going to lag. And so we're not going to see... If there are, and hopefully there aren't, maybe it's different, but in places like Texas and Arizona and Florida, we're not really going to see increases in loss of life for another two weeks or so. And so as the players are down there practicing and things are like really ramping up, the things are going to go from really bad to potentially worse. I think that's a PR nightmare. Um, people are going to start losing their, their homes in places like New York City or Los Angeles or even here in Boston. Um, so there's going to be people away from Florida that are getting evicted Uh and that's going to be a PR nightmare. Well, you have, you know, these people playing basketball, these cushy hotels, the, the state of the country is going to be worse, I think, but uh, as best I can tell. And I, I'm, I'll, well, I, I just have one more angle that I was kind of toying with this this morning that I, I, I just want to think out loud real quick and then I'll give you guys the mic. Um, I think counterintuitively doing the quote unquote bubble is higher stakes. What baseball is doing and what the football will do steamrolling their way into traveling around the country. I mean, I, I think that that's probably a worse idea, but basketball, I mean, it's going to be like all eyes on Orlando, all eyes on the NBA. And if there uh, is a spike in cases in central Florida, it's going to be so easy to trace it back to this event because you're going to know who's working down there. So you do have not only this Petri dish, this like super spread site. I mean, we're seeing 
that the worst cases of spread are when people get together in the same room. But I think also because it's in this central location, you can really easily track, hey, did this in- impact community health? Whereas like, I don't think it's, that, that's just like a PR slant. I mean, I think it's worse what baseball's doing, but I don't know. Um, I might be wrong about that. We need to get Topher on. Topher has been busy with Major League Baseball, in case any regular listeners have been wondering where he has been. Obviously, there's a lot going on with them, too. As to the people you were speaking about who are not going to be, quote-unquote, in the bubble, but will be in the bubble, the people who are working as support staff, like cleaning, disinfecting, all that stuff, um, I saw, I don't remember who it was, but someone was talking about the ethics of having someone who is being paid $15 an hour, um, having to go back and forth and be at risk and potentially not caring as much because they're paid $15 an hour. The first thing I thought was, one, put them in the bubble. Two, pay them more. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) why are we not, if if this is really worth doing, then we should be paying people what they should be deserving for literally risking their life to do this, which is what they're doing. They deserve hazard pay. 100%. I totally agree, Justin. And you know, uh, So right now I'm actually looking at um, a map that is showing basically county by county uh, preparedness for the (laughs) pandemic as it currently exists. And uh, I'm looking at Osceola in Orange County, Florida, which is where um, the bubble is supposed to be set, quote unquote bubble. And it's just deep red all the way through. I mean, they literally couldn't have picked a worse location to make this happen. And to your point about, uh, you know, workers coming in uh, from from the outside community, I mean, Ron DeSantis uh, appears to be, the governor of Florida appears to be just full steam ahead on reopening. He has no plans to shut anything down. Um, that seems to be the general sense of what's going on in Florida to begin with. And uh, it just seems like a woefully unprepared community to to really be involved in this thing uh, and all of this for kind of a televised spectacle that may or may not actually work. Yeah, it, ju- it just seems like an extraordinarily bad idea. Now to push back on that, um, I'm going to be the first to say that even though I am a doctor of anthropology with some public health training, um, I'm not an expert in any of this. I don't think any of us think of ourselves as such. However, Dr. Fauci supposedly has seen this plan in detail and approves of it. Are we maybe is just you know to to play both sides of this coin? Are are we maybe not as informed as we need to be, or I don't know. Like, what do you think? Are are, are we reasonably informed that this is going to be a serious risk? I mean, we don't know what these people are now. I suspect, as with you guys, that this is the case. That it is is a huge risk. I I don't see how it couldn't be. But can we think of a scenario where there is a way, I mean, we know to at least a certain extent that contact transmission is not one of the primary things, but we also know at the same time that saturation of the air with aerosolized particles of, the, of this disease tends to be the primary mode of transmission along with, you know, just like straight up droplets being coughed or sneezed or spoken. Is there a, a scenario where um, the majority of the people are wrong about this because as has been pointed out, and as we are seeing, a fairly large amount of the players do seem to be approving of this, even with many positive COVID cases popping up as testing starts to get ramped up um, and with people choosing to sit out. And there really hasn't been an avalanche of people like I thought there was going to be. Though There has been some pretty significant uh, people choosing to sit out. 
well, you know, one one thing that could be seen as a reason for optimism is, uh, you know, if you've been following at all the German Bundesliga basketball yes. return to play, uh, it's been going relatively well there with the caveat that the restrictions, as I understand them, are quite a bit more heavy handed than the ones being put in place for the NBA. So I think uh, to kind of summarize an answer to that, if Fauci's reviewed the plan, if the players have agreed that the plan is good, then that's definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, I do think that it will take immense discipline and good yep. practice by the players, the coaching staff, any other staff that might be there. Really, it's putting a, a great deal of pressure on them to be on their best behavior. And if they do that, then I think it's reasonable to expect that at least some approximation of this will work. And the reality is that some people will probably get sick and will probably have to be removed from the bubble. And that's that's just uh, something that the NBA is going to have to reckon with. But, you know, if all of these things are in place and if the players do stay relatively disciplined and everybody else involved, I mean, it, it could work. We don't know, but it could. What do we think is going to be the uh, outcome if someone dies, whether it's a player, a family member, a staff? Like, what do we think is going to happen if that happens? I mean, that's going to be – that's the worst-case scenario, right? I mean, a player dies on the court because uh, he is not necessarily showing symptoms, but this is a respiratory disease. And I, I just think, again, like the – it's it feels crappy to chalk it up to PR when human lives are on the line, but – it just looks like this could be a disaster for the league right now. Um, Central Florida has an 18.2 positive uh, rate among people getting tested, which is is twice the national average and is more, I think, than New York City had at its peak. And we're seeing with these college programs, these kids are going in and they're getting double tested or whatever, but the tests just aren't clear enough. And so you're getting people in their own bubbles um, who don't present as symptomatic and they're getting negative tests and they're still bringing the disease into these college bubbles. And I just, I don't know how many people are going to work at these hotels, but it's going to be hundreds maybe. Right. And I just assume. So the whole, just the optics, I mean, Justin, to your point, really and truly someone could die. And I think that that is something that obviously the league is aware of, but it seems to me isn't worth the risk. Um, But I think also, I mean, hopefully it's not as bad as all that, but how many starts and stops and restarts? I mean, if you look at what's happening with Brooklyn and Denver, I mean, there's going to be real roadblocks. And if the league stops operations for two weeks or three weeks and then it plays up again and then it does it four days later, I think it's just going to look I think it's going to look worse than it. It's not like we gave it to the old college try. I think it's just going to look like a, a cluster F. There were too many teams. There were too many teams. And you can say clusterfuck. Sure. Clusterfucks oh are, we can say clusterfuck all we want. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the, uh, I'll choose to use that word. I think it will look like a total clusterfuck. And Cam, just to add on a little bit to that point, you know, you talk about PR and about how this looks to the outside world. I mean, you also have to consider, and, you know, it's been talked about on a number of other pods. I know Howard Beck has talked about it a little bit, but, um, I mean, the optics of bringing a bunch of young black men into this bubble to basically do this subsidized entertainment product in the wake of, you know, the George Floyd protests and all of the kind of racial injustice that is currently a part 
of the national conversation. I mean, that angle has to be considered as well. And I think that the players in particular have really struggled with that. You know, Avery Bradley I, uh, obviously had other reasons for sitting out, but I think that that was no small part. Definitely, yeah. that, that, that's definitely something to be considered as well. So both of the, the okay, so there's a couple of things um, I want to touch on here. Uh, on one hand, I am really dissatisfied with the forward-facing level of engagement with the league on racial justice. Like, I know that they supposedly have a verbal commitment, which is really unenforceable because the teams individually who are going to make these decisions about increasing representation of, of black persons in positions of power in the league. That's kind of a, like, we have to admit it's a toothless promise because it's going to be taking place within organizations that are not governed in the same way that the NBA is because they're private organizations. So they're not held to anything. They can do what they want and they're probably going to keep doing what they've been doing. Um, they're going to be, there's going to be slogans on jerseys. There's going to be black lives matter painted on the court. And that's great. That's an optical. That's important. You know, it's something, but as has been pointed out by many anti-racist activists, the the optics of anti-racism is only a very small first step. So where do we go from here? I would I would have liked to see maybe getting rid of the anthem protests uh, prohibition or contra to that if they're going to keep doing the anthem, encourage people to do anthem protests. That would be something a little bit more substantive, even if still symbolic. The general consensus, as with playing with this concept seems to be broad support among the players who, at least in my mind, my opinion doesn't really matter. It's my opinion. I have it. Um, lots of people have opinions. You know the saying. <laughs> but the people who matter here in terms of a labor perspective and in terms of a, a racial justice perspective, the people whose opinions really matter here seem to support it. There did seem to be a little bit of chicanery going on with the whole Kyrie Irving thing and people not feeling represented. And I was worried that that was going to kind of like blow up into something bigger. But like, I just want to get your thoughts on the representation of consent around these issues and that, you know, in combination with the narrative that you hear all of us saying, this is a bad idea. This isn't enough, et cetera, et cetera. Is it even our place to be saying these things? I mean, certainly it's, it's our place to maybe speculate. I mean, we, to your point, it's, it's just, our opinion. I mean, I think, like for example, uh, I wonder with the names on the jerseys, the changing and sloganeering, like what kind of pressure is there for all the players in the league to do something with that, however small of a platform that is. So, for example, I mean, I think, I think it's a pretty weird gimmicky idea, but I, I get why it might be floated, and I suspect it came from a really good place, right? Hmm. But Say, Justin, you have, you know, a really great uh, cause that you'd like to put on your jersey. You're going to, say, defund the police or something like that. And I also have something that I feel really passionate about. I'm going to put it on my jersey. I feel like it's unfair that Alex can't just show up with Goldberg on the back of his jersey. And maybe he's a 19-year-old rookie who doesn't know that much or doesn't have that much to say. And so suddenly there's this kind of, like, performance of, well, I've got to put something back there. Um and, like, for example, Spencer Dinwiddie was going to put trillions on the back of his jersey, which, like, that's his prerogative. I just, it, it doesn't feel like the league working as one with one solid voice. It feels like we're giving the players license to, instead of their own name, I mean, it's not like you can touch the corporate sponsorship. It's not like, it just, I don't know, that one 
sit weirdly with me. But again, to your point, it's probably not our place to dissect it too much because I'm sure it came from a really good, the people who put this in action had really great intentions behind it. I also think uh, one thing that needs to be considered, so obviously there are, you know, pretty significant financial incentives for the players to go and do this. Um, and, the but kind of, and the league. But more importantly, uh, kind of in the long run, the players, I think, gain a great deal of leverage if they show up here and then go into the next CBA uh, ready to negotiate on the grounds that, hey, we showed up and played in the heat of this coronavirus nonsense and we put our lives on the line, we put our bodies on the line in a way that's bigger than basketball. And I do think that one possible long-term play that could work out in the players' favor, uh, specifically for advocating for racial justice uh, and for the league as a vehicle for that, is in the next CBA, they could, in theory, include language about ownership or kind of uh, organizations stepping up uh, their commitment to racial justice in their communities, whatever that looks like. But, uh, you know, from a leverage standpoint, it actually might be smart for the players to do this if they're thinking long term. Well, they don't have a choice in terms of the CBA, because if they do not do it, then what will end up happening is a force majeure uh, clause, I guess you would call it, within the CBA would basically trigger the end of the CBA. And they have to renegotiate a new one. And it would probably end up in a lockout because the owners would be really pissed. They would demand collectively much more firmly for a bigger share of basketball-related revenue um, or income. So that would basically put the players in a position where they're going to lose a significant chunk of money as a result of this, plus the games that will end up being missed. Um, I, I don't imagine in the current environment that we would be seeing basketball again for a while, probably many, yeah. many months. I just want to hop in with a point of clarity. My understanding, I know that um, Windhorse the other day might have claimed the league was burning a little too much money, but my understanding is that actually the league is going to lose close to a billion dollars to put this together. Um, And that's just the ownership and the players that are recuperating money. Um, And I think that that is an interesting thread because the way that the league is operating and the amount of money that it's willing to spend uh, really bolsters these kind of like anonymous billionaires like we know mark cuban we know wick we know a few of these owners but um it is like big corporate america making its money back and the players too i mean we've seen uh that the the players are working together on this one and uh, players who are staying home are able to recuperate some of their money so there's a lot of solidarity there but uh, i do think it's interesting to me that the league is willing to sink this much money and to that end maybe that money could be put elsewhere um i think some of the old guard i mean like the lebrons and the cp3s of the world really think hey let's use our platform for institutional change and i think some of the younger players um are kind of agitating for like no this is more immediate than that and so i think that tension is really interesting um but it seems like the the former has won the day because obviously we're everyone's going down in orlando yep yeah, I, I think that, that that is a whole other podcast worth of material. There seems that, that's what I was hinting at. Um, decisions in the uh, players' union are made by committees, not by votes for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
this was one of those things, and I thought there might be a rebellion underway because the committees are all headed by the stars because the stars run the Players Association and they make the deals that make themselves richer and benefit themselves most. Look at Chris Paul, for example. <laughs> um, so, like, I thought there was a real chance that we, we were going to see a, a meltdown come out of out of that um, because this is something that probably should have been voted on rank and file given the gravity of the situation. But it seems like it's resolved itself. However, I, I would not be surprised if this gets brought back up again. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we um, pretend none of that happened? <laughs> <laughs> Everything, Everything is fine. Awesome. Uh, we've got a schedule eight games what are our thoughts so now we're entering into this world where we think it's going to happen and we support it somewhat I mean it's happening I I just need to put on my happy shift gears from pessimistic to optimistic give me a second Alex you go first All right, sounds good Um, so I, it's funny that we are going through this schedule. Uh, I actually have a more expansive version of the things that I'm about to say going up for OTG this week, possibly That's in the next couple tease, of days. boys and girls. Exactly. You know it. Anyway, um, so I've, I've done a little breakdown of this schedule. Uh, I've thought a little bit about this. Um, my current projection, so... First off, we have to consider that the Celtics are in a really good spot here from a scheduling perspective. Um, they have one of the easiest remaining schedules for these eight games. Uh, a lot of opponents that they've handled pretty well up to this point, and uh, they are definitely well set up going into this tournament, uh, especially with potentially a healthy Kemba Walker coming back. Um, that being said, I have the Celtics going five and three over this stretch. Um, I think that that first game in Milwaukee or in Orlando, but against Milwaukee is definitely a doozy. Uh, and I think that by the end of the schedule, it's entirely possible that the Celtics will have their standing locked up, uh, pretty well set. And so there might not be a huge incentive to play their starters down the stretch, but yeah, uh, that first game in Milwaukee is going to be tough, but after a number after that there's a number of games that they have against opponents that they've done pretty well against uh you look at miami is here portland orlando i mean these are all teams that the celtics have had uh significant success against this year and i expect them to continue that trend going forward so i actually have kind of like a schrodinger's schedule uh based on how the milwaukee game goes and if we lose the milwaukee game i i completely agree that's probably what we're going to be looking at for a final record five or three or so but if we win versus milwaukee i think we're going to run the table except for toronto because i think they're going to go for the two seed if they beat milwaukee if they don't beat milwaukee i think they're going to take a much more casual feel it out see what we can do experiment kind of a thing because then they'll almost certainly be locked into their seed um anyway and you might as well just see what you have um what do you think cam yeah if you can get on the other side of the bracket from milwaukee i mean that would be huge because then maybe some other team can take care of milwaukee for you so i think that there's great incentive to your point justin for the celtics to try and catch up with um Toronto, which is a bit, I mean, it's three games across eight. They have to cover three games, so Toronto would really have to stink up the joint. Um, 
what I suspect and kind of hope will happen is that uh, Coach Stevens takes a page out of Bill Belichick's book, and he just uses these eight games to tinker, to scheme, to kind of probe and see what he's got. I mean, it doesn't really, because the, the Celtics, so they're three games back of the two seed against the Raptors, and they're two and a half games against uh, up over the Heat uh, in the four spot. So I feel like they're probably going to end up with that three spot or close enough or have some agency in kind of treading water. And so to that end, I, I kind of hope the Celtics don't come out and really sprint unless in the first few games it looks like they can catch Toronto. So, yeah, by uh, they play Miami Tuesday, August 4th, and then have a back-to-back against Brooklyn August 5th. So I bet around then we'll have a sense, hey, are the Celtics going for it or are they just hanging out until the playoffs start? Well, it's interesting that you say that, Kim, because, you know, I've pulled up the Raptors schedule here just to take a look at what they're dealing with. (laughs) And it's actually pretty brutal. Um, They start off with the Lakers. uh, They have the Heat in there, uh, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Nuggets. I mean, the Raptors really this this is not an easy schedule to be going in with. And uh, I think there's definitely potential, especially if the Celtics can beat the Raptors head to head for them to actually come up and grab this two seed. And just one more thing about the bracket, uh, you know, in in kind of uh, writing this piece that I am trying to throw up on OTG, um, I, I also took a look at the 76ers schedule and the 76ers schedule is juicy. That is <laughs> it, it is very, very good to be a Sixers fan going into this. So you could see a scenario where the Celtics could jump up to the two seed and the 76ers could be at the four, which would make for a fascinating Eastern Conference playoff bracket. Yeah, I mean, Celtics have Orlando, Memphis and Washington to close out the quote unquote season. I mean. For a group that is mostly playoff teams, that's a pretty good shake. Yeah. I'm really divided on what kind of a team Memphis is going to be. I could see them being either, you know, just like fighting for their lives or possibly checked out, depending on how strong Portland comes on. Uh, I know that they are are down at least one player that they were hoping to have back, but they're going to have Nurkic back, and I think that that is going to be pretty huge for them. I think that they are probably going to be first-round play uh, uh, fodder for the Lakers if they do make it, but... I do think they have a pretty good chance of catching up with Memphis pretty quickly. And I don't know, just some thoughts well, on. Interestingly enough, so uh, according to the thing we have in our document, the Celtics have the third easiest strength of schedule. And it's only eight games, so who knows? Um, the Sixers have the second. And surprise, surprise, the Pelicans <coughs> have the easiest remaining strength of schedule, which something stinks here because I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think you needed 22 teams down in the bubble save you get to show up Zion and I don't think Zion should be the cover athlete for NBA 2k and yet there he is and the Pelicans have the easiest remaining schedule uh, which I know is that, that's pretty conspiratorial the schedule was sort of born out of like what was remaining but I don't know uh, so Justin yeah I mean Dame Lillard looks motivated and uh, the the Trailblazers certainly are no spring chicken, but it seems like the league has an agenda. I can't blame them. I'm really curious to know oh, no, how I they came either. up. I'm curious to know how they came up with a schedule because it's not exactly a reflection or the order of each team's next eight games, as we all thought, I think, um, when they first announced how they were going to do the schedule. It's right. like the same teams just blended into a new order, basically, with some doublings um, like we would have gotten the wizards twice 
the way the schedule was looking before. And somebody probably pretty intelligently said, no one wants to see that once. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Anything else uh, from the schedule? I mean, who's who's going to really not want to be there? I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure at this point with, with Davis Bertans sitting, Washington is just kind of there to be cannon fodder for everyone right. <laughs> and to make some money back, really, at this point, and that's about it. Are the well, Magic I mean, going to be there? Is Brooklyn going to care? Brooklyn does not really seem like they have any reason to be there at all. Yeah, Brooklyn's entire team is basically not coming to this, from what I understand. Uh, they're basically going to be playing their bench. So I would be stunned if Brooklyn is there for anything other than a first-round exit. And in fact, I'm actually a little concerned that Brooklyn is so thin and short-handed, missing you know, DeAndre Jordan, potentially Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, this team could be in serious danger of falling out of the entire playoff race. But who's going to fall in, Washington? Yeah, Washington, because I think Brad Beal is on the fence about going down. That's true. Well, if Beal goes, I think that uh, obviously that change, changes the ceiling for the Wizards quite dramatically. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel bad for the young kids who have to go down there and risk their lives to play Washington Wizards basketball. <laughs> mm. So who do you want to face in the first round? Like, who is their optimal? And who do who is our least optimal for each of you? Cam, you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I would love for the Celtics to play the Pacers if they could in the first round, um, uh, depending on what that looks like for the bracket. I think avoiding the Bucks should be the Celtics' MO. But then by the same token, I mean, the 76ers are such a weird uh, boogeyman in terms of matchups for the Celtics that, Maybe just get it over with or something. I, I, I don't know. It seems to me that unless the Celtics can find their way to play the Nets or, you know, the Wizards or the Magic, so catching that two seed, maybe they can catch the Pacers and, and warm their way into the postseason. But I actually, I don't really worry about their chances against the Raptors. I know that that's not really fair to the Raptors because they're switchy and the defense they play is phenomenal and they they can catch lightning in a bottle. So I'm, I probably should be more fearful of the Raptors as a Celtics fan. But I know there's maybe a lot of discontent in the Sixers locker room right now. And it's I think that the Sixers don't work at all. And yet I think that the Celtics, it's just a big, scary team for a little Celtics team. So I don't know. I don't think I answered your question, Justin. I hope they play the Pacers. No, I, think, I think you kind of did. I mean, not a lot of certainty. Um, I, I kind of agree with you about Philadelphia. It's like, to keep using the Schrodinger thing, uh, we don't know what version of the team we're going to get on either side. And we, we have that, this built-in size problem with them that worked really, really poorly for most of the regular season. Who knows how it's going to be? Playoff Al is a thing. Uh, they might be able to actually use him as playoff Al now that they have some shooting to create some spacing, maybe create some new lineups. Um, even if it's not necessarily a starting lineup. So they could be a lot more dangerous of a team now that they could actually generate a little bit of spacing with some of their, their recent signings. I really, really, at all costs, no matter what we have to do, want to avoid them in the first round. Because even though, again, this is not a normal season, it's still going to look really bad if we drop a series and are out in the first round to them. And they're the only people, only team I think we could face in the first round that realistically has a chance, a good chance at, at beating the Celtics. I, I do think there's a way Miami could, but I, I don't expect them yeah. to. 
and particularly not Indiana, and particularly not, you know, if we get to the two-seed Brooklyn or Orlando, there's just no chance whatsoever. In fact, it might not <laughs> be so – it might be so easy. It could even be potentially harmful by letting them think they're a little too good for themselves. Mm. I uh, I do not fear the Miami Heat even in the slightest uh, in looking at <laughs> the two wins that the Celtics have had against them this year. Uh, the first game was an absolute blowout, and the second yep. game was only close because the Heat clawed back in garbage time. Um, so if we get Miami, I think I'm going to be feeling pretty good. Maybe I'll eat my words on that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I would generally agree with most of what's been said here. Brooklyn, uh, Orlando, Miami, Indy, I think would all be pretty fine for the Celtics. I do share some of Cam's concern as, about Philly, but I also think that over the course of a seven-game series, uh, I have a hard time believing that Brad won't figure something out against Philly. I'm a little more optimistic maybe than most Celtics fans on that front. I was going to say, Brett Brown said something to the effect that there's, uh, I think the quote was, I don't want to get it wrong, it was like, there's an Al Horford team and a Joel Embiid team. Um which I think refers to the fact that they can't share the court more than like a splintered locker room, but it, it's not something that he would need to offer if it wasn't really uh, pressing in his mind. So maybe, yeah, the, the Sixers are a straw man, but they're a really tall straw man, so I don't know. <laughs> well, they're healthy now, you know, and, and they weren't working and they weren't healthy. If it works and they're healthy then a lot of those, you know, that ill will just kind of melts away pretty quickly. And I, I do agree that there is – I would actually slightly favor the Celtics in, in a series with them, but the the black eye will be so bad if we lose, I just don't even want to deal with it. Right. Entirely fair. Entirely fair. Um, just And just one more thing to throw out there, you know, I mean – I, I think Toronto is a really good basketball team. I think that, uh, if anything, they're probably more underrated than overrated even still. Uh, but, you know, I still I really do have questions about whether uh, an offense built around Pascal Siakam as the primary guy, the main playmaker is sustainable in a postseason setting. And obviously, you know, this is a very weird situation and. Perhaps it's better to just throw any conventional wisdom out the window and start fresh. But I don't know. Uh, in, I was at the first game that the Celtics played against the Raptors this year. And while Siakam was really good, um, I think the Celtics just had a few too many scorers in Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown. And I think over the course of a seven game series, even though that would be a really tight battle, I, I still think the Celtics' versatility wins out in the end. Maybe I'm a homer, though. <laughs> we all have a little bit of that going on, I think. <laughs> I mean, certainly depth is going to be a huge factor here because, unfortunately, there are going to be players that have to step aside at some point because they have uh, COVID. And Celtics have four-ish, all-star-ish caliber players. Um, There's going to be a lot of turned ankles. Lots of turned ankles, too. Yeah, I mean that's a we don't have to revisit this stuff, but like the the way that the league is transparent about what is happening in Orlando once it gets going will be really interesting because like I don't think the NFL will ever report a player has COVID um, <laughs> in the way they don't seem to ever report a player has a concussion. Uh, I I would have thought that the NBA would be really uh, forthright with hey this person has Corona that's why they're away from the team, but yeah I think there will be a lot of turned ankles. You think we're doing what we want to talk about? Before we get out of here. 
No, I've been on a writing hiatus. I don't really have that much to say. I did look at um, 538's title odds, and just to end on a positive note, the Celtics have a 21% chance of making the finals, which is behind the 76ers and the Bucks. but uh, that feels pretty good to read. So I might play with those numbers sometime soon. Uh, yeah, aside from the piece that I already mentioned going up, I have nothing in the works right now, although that will change as I'm incredibly bored on a day-to-day basis and will need to do something. Uh, only other thing I have to plug is my band, musical shout-out, uh, Divine Sweater on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Music, and Bandcamp. That's divine as in things from God and sweater as in what you wear in the winter. Check it out. It's good. <laughs> I will. <laughs> cool. Well, you can't find that on most podcatcher apps, but you can find this on most of them. Uh, please subscribe as usual so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate us five stars. If you don't like something, just let us know. We'll change it if we can. can use the hashtag CLPOD because we are always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage. Take care. Sherwin-Williams during the spring sale March 24th through April 3rd and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, 35% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.